0: Welcome, and thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. Today's sermon takes us into the home in a town near Bethlehem. We look at the behavior of two sisters when Jesus comes to visit. Turn to Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Here's First Pres Executive Coordinator Jenny Sung.
1: Good morning. Good morning. My name is Jenny. I serve on staff as executive coordinator and lay pastor. Um, Thank you, Jason, for a beautiful song. Um, A song called Nothing Else, draws us deeper into worship today, draws us closer to the feet of Jesus. The song says, more than anything that you can do, I just want you. Nothing else, nothing else but Jesus. And there are so many things that can take the place of Jesus in our lives. When we're running our own agenda, when our hearts are closed to Him, when we're distracted or anxious. And the song, Nothing Else, it brings us back to an understanding that at the very core, at the very heart of it all, it's a close and intimate relationship with our Creator that matters most. Our person of focus today, Mary of Bethany, understood this. More than anything, Mary of Bethany chose to sit at the feet of Jesus. Each time we see her, she makes the choice to draw nearer to him, to go closer. And if you look at the passages, the stories in the Bible about Mary of Bethany, we see her not just once or twice, but we see her three times. It's always in this particular position It's around the feet of Jesus. I wonder what could compel someone so much to act in this particular way. I'll come back to that question at the end, so think about that. Let's find out a bit about Mary's background. Of course, Mary's not to be confused with like Mary, the mother of Jesus, or Mary Magdalene. This is a different Mary. Mary of Bethany is a sister of Martha and Lazarus. She lives in a town of Bethany, which is why she's called Mary of Bethany. And it's kind of like a suburb, imagine about a mile and a half east of Jerusalem. And during his life on earth, Jesus and the disciples would stay with this family when he was there. They were the closest of friends. How do we know this? It's in John chapter 11, verse five. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. These guys were loved wow, they were close. They were beloved friends. And uh, I thought about close friends in life. You know, have you ever like visited like close friends, maybe college friends or really close friends? Maybe you're going to the mainland and you stay with them or they come here and they stay with you. Isn't it like sometimes even though years have passed, it's like time hasn't passed at all and you can just pick up right where you left off. And there's this bond of friendship, this closeness it's thinking of that took me down memory lane to my college friends kevin and cindy whenever we visited chicago my husband and i would stay with our college friends and this is me and cindy this is my college buddy she was my maid of honor at my wedding my best friend in college to this day she's very close to my heart we were just texting back and forth yesterday about her parents that's the coffee mug years ago that we made. I can't believe I still have it. I have it. I treasure it. It's in it's in my kitchen. Cindy and her husband Kevin would stay with us on their visits to Hawaii. In fact, there's a picture of them visiting us during their honeymoon. And so, of course, here they are. The, we're here, the four of us, eating shave ice, and we're just treasuring our time together. And then when we would go to Chicago, we would visit them. Now, this photo, this is like pre-children days, right? Like pre-kid days, right? So if you look at the next picture, you'll see it's a little bit bigger. You know, it's like, there's like five kids amongst us. And don't we look a bit more exhausted? Just a little bit? That's at the Shedd Aquarium in in Chicago. Um, You don't see Mitchell. He's strapped to my back, but you can kind of catch his feet dangling out the back there. Yeah, that's how it was. But we were the closest of friends. And like this, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they were the closest of friends with Jesus. They were beloved. They hosted Jesus and all the disciples whenever they visited Bethany. And uh, many are familiar about the brother, right? Lazarus, you know what happened to Lazarus, right? He died and he was raised back to life again. I mean, this is some incredible family for 4 days he's kind of decomposing and Jesus pops brings him back to life. Next week you're going to hear the context of the story as we study Martha. So Pastor Tim is going to do an incredible sermon about Martha, the sister to Mary next week. But today, let's look at Mary who chooses to live her life in close intimacy with her Lord and Savior. What I wanted to do with Mary of Bethany is kind of show you, take you through these three stories, these three events that refer to Mary. It's kind of like when you are trying to put together a puzzle and you notice that as you take more and more of those pieces and you're fitting them together, you begin to see more and more of the whole picture, right? So that's, that's what I like to do when I look at someone in the Bible, I try to see all of the different contexts and stories that they're in. And then you begin to see a much larger picture of who she is. In fact, you'll see what an amazing person, a, a, a life devoted to God, a worshiper, and um, how true she was to herself and to those around her. Now this first story sets the groundwork for the posture of Mary's heart. We see the posture right there. We're going into the book of Luke chapter 10 verses 38 through 42. So Jesus and the disciples, they're in Bethany, and they visit the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And there's a bunch of preparations that are going on, but where do we find Mary? We find Mary at the feet of Jesus. If you are able, will you please stand and we can read the word of the Lord together. This is the Gospel of Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted, all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, few things are needed or indeed only one mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her this is the word of the lord May may be seated when we look at these verses i think what we first tend to do we tend to gravitate towards the comparison of the two right we, we, we do the Martha versus the Mary, and you'll see many, many sermons and even books dedicated on these passages about, you know, having a Mary heart and a Martha world and things like that. It, it will address Martha and the doing, Mary and the Being. And let me just say, both women are amazing. Both women are devoted to Jesus. Both women are faithful. The story's not just about a comparison between a life of worship and a life of service. It's more than that. Sure, we're all wired differently, right? So some of us gravitate more to in doing, serving, more than being, worship, or depending on the season of life, right? There are seasons of life when we might be one more than the other. Both are good. Both are legitimate. There's nothing wrong about what Martha was doing, nothing wrong about taking care of the preparations that needed to be done, or all these people in her home. And we know, when we look at the Bible, we look at the entirety of the Bible, there are verses talking about warning against sloth or laziness, verses that talk about the value of diligence and hard work. So this isn't about that. What's going on here, really? And it's verse 40 that kind of tells us what's going on. Verse 40 says that Martha was distracted. She was distracted, she was cumbered. And in fact, Jesus later says, you are anxious, you're troubled. If you look at the Greek lexicon for that word distracted, I love how they phrase it. Distracted means to be drawn away, to draw away from. Martha was drawn away from Jesus. And when we get down to the core of it, it's a state of our heart. Do you notice sometimes, not always, but oftentimes that when we feel distracted We're feeling more anxious or more irritable, that there's a relationship with us drawing away from God. You know, maybe it's that we've drawn away from time with God. Maybe it's drawing away from listening to his voice in the quiet time. Maybe you're drawing away from reading his word and finding his truth in the scriptures. Maybe that's related that we're snapping more at our spouse or children or we're snapping more at our friends. We're easily offended or we're anxious and we're riddled with worry. Now I'm not saying that we don't feel anxious when things happen. I mean, you're driving and you see the cop car behind you, lights go on, you're going to feel anxious, okay? I'm like, whoa. What I'm saying is that the way in which we react to things, the way we respond in situations and to people, that this is directly linked to the posture of our hearts. What's coming out of our hearts when we're drawing away from Jesus, when we are distracted or cumbered? Do we carry those burdens? Do we feel resentful? Do we hold on to jealousy? Are we more easily angered or do we blame and judge others how about shame are we holding on to that the question is right now do you feel you're drawing away or toward jesus these days it wasn't too long ago i was having lunch with a friend she's an amazing leader at alpha donna hiroshima we're having lunch and I, I confessed to her that I was recently just irritated and upset after working several events. You know, I was cleaning up at the end of the event. I was walking to my car and I just felt myself so irritable and I was just critical, you know, and the thoughts in my head, I was like, you know what? People need to pull their weight. They just need to get their act together. And I just felt like, you know, I was going down this path of, oh, I'm doing so much more than what they're doing. I could just hear the thoughts inside my head. And um, I was judging others as, well, you know, they just don't care. They're apathetic. Or saying they're lazy. And I knew there was something really wrong with me. I really had to pause and reflect upon the state of my heart. And so as I sat there and I prayed, I realized I was drawn away from Jesus. I really was. My posture was nowhere near the feet of Jesus. And the focus was only on myself and what I wanted. It wasn't on God. There's nothing wrong in realizing that things have to get done. But in the process, I had allowed the sin of resentment and bitterness to just creep in. And at the core of it, I struggled with this big lie that I struggle with a lie. It just keeps servicing in my life. And this is a lie that tends to push all my buttons and it affects the posture of my heart. This lie says that my worth and my value comes from what I do. From a young age, you see, I was a people pleaser. I was always a people pleaser. And I remember praise and attention for what I accomplished or what was good, right? So whether that was getting good grades or doing good deeds or being successful, my identity and value was built around how well I did. It was that, that lie. My identity and value in life is based on what I do through works and the success of those works that just kept drawing me away from the feet of Jesus. Many workaholics base their identity and value on what they do in their career or in their job. And a lot of us struggle out of this lie of measurement that our worth is tied to what we do and the more we do, the more valuable we are. It's a lie. I believed and acted out of a salvation of works, not a salvation of grace. I still struggle with this, but over the years I've grown to a greater understanding that God's love is a gift, it's a gift of grace, that my worth is independent of what I do. This is so important that the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians, he keeps saying over and over that we are saved by grace, not works. Paul talks about God's love as a gift, it's not earned. Ephesians chapter two, verses four and five. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. It is not by works. I love the way Tim Keller kind of describes the way we view God and life. He talks about these two paradigms. Maybe you're familiar with it. He uses the terms religion and gospel. So he says religion operates on the principle of I obey, right, first I obey, therefore I'm accepted, and now God owes me. The gospel operates on the principle of I'm accepted. You start from there. I'm accepted through the infinite sacrifice of Jesus Christ and sheer grace. Therefore, I obey and I owe him everything. These two are so different, even though they kind of sound the same. The first is I obey. Therefore, I'm accepted and God owes me, right? I do what you tell me to do. Therefore, I'm accepted. While the second says I'm already accepted because of God's grace because of his love, his sacrifice. So from the overflow of that, I want to obey. I want to serve him. I owe him everything. And that day when I was distracted and far away from the feet of Jesus, I succumbed to the lie that held others to a lie of measurement. I wasn't serving out of an understanding of God's love or his grace or sacrifice or that we start, that we're accepted because he loves us. I was distracted and cumbered about many things. My heart was very distant. When we're honest enough to be real with ourselves, to God and those around us, when we ponder and sit before our creator and we're in real Christian community, we realize that it's not the what that determines our worth. It's actually a who. It's who. Jesus is who matters. Jesus determines our worth, a who. It's Jesus that in him and through him we live and move and have our being. And when we act out of that solid foundation and identity in Jesus Christ, then it, it, everything, else, everything else is affected. It, it drives us in our will and our purpose and our behaviors and actions and our thoughts. It's at the feet of Jesus that we can see him more clearly, that we see what he sees in ourselves and other people. We discover his peace that surpasses all understanding. We experience God's hope, we're moved to forgive and filled by his love. Even when there's conviction, as I was convicted that day that led me to repentance, it's not a condemnation that you'll feel. It's not of the Lord, it's a conviction that, that you just feel this assurance of God's love and he wants to draw you back. And, and his love leads you to repentance. That's why the Bible says his kindness leads us to repentance. The second story that we see Marion takes us to not a dinner party, but one of the most tragic and hard times in her life. We go to the book of John chapter 11, where we see her brother Lazarus Uh, He's so sick that he actually dies. She loses him. Now, I don't want to dive into too much details on this passage because Pastor Tim is actually going to talk about this next week. He's going to focus on the sister Martha in the context of Lazarus and the tomb and and being raised to life. But for today, I want to focus on Mary's actions in this scene. So we see in verse 28 that Martha calls her sister Mary. Mary. And Jesus arrives in Bethany. And Martha says to Mary, now realize that Lazarus has been dead for four days now already. Martha says, the teacher's here and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. And you know, she she got up so quickly and she rushed out that people who were there mourning with her actually thought she was going to the tomb to mourn. So they, they followed her out. But she was going to Jesus because she heard he's here. In verse 32, we read, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and her eyes lock onto his, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Verse 32 is when we see Mary at the foot of Jesus once again, but it's not listening at his feet at a dinner, it's actually falling at his feet because she's in so much pain and she's beside herself. She's distraught and she's weeping. In front of her Lord and in front of all these people, she says, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And it's almost like she's crying out, where were you? Where were you, Jesus? Where were you when we needed you the most? If you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. I find this to be an incredible verse, and it's not just because of Mary's faith. I mean, that's incredible faith. If you were here, this wouldn't have happened. But more so, I find it incredible because Mary here is modeling what intimacy with God is all about. I think Mary gives us a bigger picture of what it means to live life with God in intimate relationships. You see, Mary could have been drawn away from Jesus, right? In her darkest moments and in her greatest time of need, Jesus wasn't there. And so she could have hid her pain from the Lord. She could have walked away. Jesus wasn't there for her. Or maybe she would just hide her disappointment, right? Like put on that face, that that brave front. I'm trusting, all good here. You know, hide the doubt, hide the pain. But no, in her darkest moment, Mary comes before Jesus with tears, with questions, with doubt in her heart, and anguish for what she thought Jesus could have prevented. I think for many of us, in our darkest moments of pain, we like to hide it. We hide it from God, and we hide it from one another, If it doesn't make sense in our brains and it just doesn't make sense to us, we draw further away from God. If we feel weak, we hide our shame. We draw away from God, or maybe even other people. We don't want to show the ugly, the weakness. Maybe this is the fallen nature, right? We tend to hide, just like Adam and Eve hid in the Garden of Eden after the fall. But here through Mary... We see that in all things, in the good and the bad, through everything, we can fall at the feet of Jesus, even when there's pain and doubt and anguish, even when there's anger or blame. There's a chapter in Rachel Evans' book called Searching for Sunday, and uh, I want to thank Uh, Eileen Lum, who recommended this book and lent it to me. It's really good. Rachel Evans has this book, and there's a chapter called Dirty Laundry. Reminds me of Laundry Love. And she writes about the weekly AA meetings in the church being one of the most holy hours in the church when people do the sacred act of telling one another the truth. She writes about the AA meetings. We all move through the world in the same state, broken and beloved, and that we're all in need of healing and grace. They embolden us to confess to one another not only our sin but also our fears, our doubts, our questions, our injuries, and our pain. They give us permission to start telling one another the truth and to believe that the strange way of living is the only way to set one another free. The truth is we think church is for people living in the after picture. We think church is for taking spiritual Instagrams and putting on our best performance. We think church is for the healthy, even though Jesus told us time and time again he came to minister to the sick. We think church is for good people, not resurrected people. So we fake it. We pretend we don't need help, and we act like we're not afraid, even though no decent AA meeting ever began with, Hi, my name is Rachel, and I totally have my act together. Love that quote. Mary lived a life of intimacy with God, meaning that she moved toward God, whether it meant she had her act together or that she was sobbing at the feet of Jesus. Living a life of intimacy means that we dare to be transparent and honest before God and with ourselves, and yes, even in community with one another. It does mean that we are beloved, and that we are all broken. Intimacy means taking all that you are, the messy and weak, the joy and the pain, and drawing near to God and to one another. The final story I wanna end with is one of lavish devotion to Jesus. Mary takes an alabaster jar of pure nard They say that this nard, this perfume, costed about a year's worth of wages. John chapter 12, verse three says, then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and then wiped his feet with her hair. Pastor Dan preached a sermon on this not too long ago. It was in the book of Mark. You may remember it, alabaster jar. You might want to hear it again that sermon it talks a lot about that passage if you want to hear more details in the story when mary broke that alabaster jar in front of everybody in that house and poured that expensive perfume on his feet she got a lot of flack for it her act of lavish devotion just caused kind of this oh my gosh it's over the top or what a waste what a waste But we know that her act of worship and devotion to Jesus was an anointing for his burial. Jesus knew that he would die soon. And Jesus was blessed by her actions. In fact, it says that for all time that her act will be remembered, she has blessed him. Three times we see Mary around the feet of Jesus. Mary at his feet, listening intently, Mary crying and falling at the feet of Jesus, and then Mary worshiping God, pouring perfume on his feet, and then taking her hair and wiping it. It's a lavish act of love and devotion for her Lord and Savior. The beginning of this message, I asked the question, what would compel someone to keep coming back to Jesus in this manner? What's up with that? Mary understood Jesus was at the center of her life. Jesus is who matters most. She knew that listening to his words gave her life and meaning. She knew that she could turn to her loving and, and, and ever Savior and trust him, even though she was in deep pain and in deep grief. Mary understood that the profound act of devotion to her Lord, an action that was the response of abundant love and devotion, was a blessing for him. And ultimately, it was out of an intimate relationship with Jesus that Mary chose to live a life of worship and devotion to her God. We see Jesus also responding in each of these three situations, He responds every time. In fact, he defends in two of those occasions. He responds when Mary its like, can you talk to Mary? Jesus defends Mary with Martha. And Jesus also defends Mary when she's sort of wasted that expensive perfume. And when Mary is weeping at his feet, Jesus also responds. He's moved and he weeps with her. The shortest passage in the Bible, Jesus wept. We know that Jesus will always respond. You know, it's not always going to be in our timeline, and sometimes it's not in ways that we expect. But know that God will always respond, and that you can trust in him, who is the very definition of love. You can trust in a good God. Jesus is not put off by our weakness or brokenness in life. He empathizes with us, he holds us in our pain and he works to bring the dead things in our life back to life. The enemy will come and try to give you the lies and the enemy will come to kill and destroy what you have. But God is on your side and he is there to bring healing and wholeness to your life. As we prepare our hearts for communion, this first Sunday of the month, and as the deacons and elders prepare to come forward, let's remember the sacrifice and love of Jesus. I think about Jesus and the ultimate act, and it actually does concern feet again, but this is not around the feet of Jesus. Jesus in the ultimate act of love actually is around the feet of the disciples we see on the night that he was betrayed he takes a towel and he wraps it around his waist and he stoops down and he begins to wash the dirty and grimy feet of the disciples in the upper room and this is an act that's delegated to servants it's it's very lowly because it was stinky and dirty and mud was kind of covered on miles that people had traveled peter His disciple was shocked and kind of embarrassed. He's like, no, Jesus, you'll never wash my feet. Perhaps he's embarrassed. He's embarrassed that his mentor, his Lord, is washing his feet. Why would he want to have any part with such grime and dirt? And we may relate. We may think, Jesus, I don't want you to see my dirty feet. I don't want you to wash that. I wanna hide that shame or that dirt. I wanna hide the pain that's there. Maybe I'm not worth you coming to wash me clean. But that's exactly what Jesus does. He does wash our feet. He washes us clean from our sins. And the act of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, it was an act that demonstrated his love for us and what we should do for one another. He restores us. And then he calls us to restore one another. There may have been choices in life that took us down a path. Maybe we look back and we regret it. Maybe you have many distractions that take you away from the feet of Jesus. Maybe there are troubles that just hardened your heart to God. Or the path you took brought so much pain and damage to yourself or to people around you. But no matter how far away or how long you've drawn away from Jesus, Know that he longs to have you find him again. He loves you. He assures you that he will respond and be in your life. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice and for loving us. Thank you for drawing us closer back to you. We pray that you may be the center of our lives. Be the center in all of our relationships, in all of our endeavors. Be the center of our church. Holy Spirit, fill us and guide us. Help us to be obedient and to give up the things that distract and take away. We give up any fears or doubts our pride, our selfishness to you. And we pray that you move powerfully in and through us, that others may experience your love and see your glory. We worship you. In Christ's name, amen. If you would like more prayer, um, please feel free to come forward after the service. We have the prayer team on either side, and we would love to just take that time um, to pray with you. Now, as we close the service each communion, we say the Lord's Prayer. So will you stand, and together we'll say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for young is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever amen now receive this blessing may the lord bless you and keep you and may his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you and may you always be drawn towards the love of jesus may he be the center of your life today and all the rest of your days In Christ's name, amen.
0: There is no one way of worship that is better than all others, as long as we recognize first that Jesus is Lord and our worship arises out of that. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Pres website, fpchawaii.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us at one of our worship services on campus at 45550 550 Kiona Ole Road, Kaneohe, Hawaii, 96744. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30 and 11.11. Follow First Prez on Twitter and Facebook. Download the First Prez app. Watch First Prez sermon videos on our website and on Facebook. If you need more... Call us at 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Pres, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you and thank you for listening. Copyright 2019 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu at Ko'olau.